This episode might be one of the best you're ever gonna hear. There's so many people being literally right now let off a cliff. The markets are certainly done. We are at an all-time high and we can only go down from here. The market's gonna average. What's the point? What value exchange is happening? Why would I put money into this privatized banking, this specially designed and engineered whole life, when I can put money in the S&P 500 and make 12%? They have zero value of the benefits that life insurance gives you to your financial life. Having life insurance in a future portfolio is like bonds on steroids. Like some people in the IBC community, they're paying off their home early with their policy. I could go as far as to say that could potentially be malpractice. So when I talk about all the stuff I do with my policies, which is very much different than way, the way you do it. And I said the same exact thing, put it in a freaking savings account. The scenario that allows me to save the most is there is the route that I'm gonna take. If you don't agree with that, folks, you need to really look in the mirror and you know, we'll leave this to the audience. Hey guys, it's Caleb Williams. With you know, when we talk about the stock market and everything else, like one of the big problems I have taken on, and I know you also have is, you know, there's so many people being literally right now let off a cliff. I think you and I both are on the same uh, mindset that, that the markets are certainly done. We are at an all-time high and we can only go down from here. All the signs, all the facts, all the reports show the exact same thing. Except for when you watch the news and you listen to Kramer who says, oh, everything's going to be fine. We're going to soft land. No, we're not. The markets are going to go down. The economy is going to soften and you need to be on the right side of that. So building wealth is really just, or is really right now more of a, a component of preserving, protecting what you currently yeah. have. Can I play devil's advocate with you? Please. So like, even if it wasn't, even like, even if the market was going to go up 12% each and every year, I still wouldn't change this, my song or dance or, or what I'm trying to stand for, because it's like, even I'm just playing, I, I tend to agree with you. There's no, you look at the next 30 years, we're not going to like, there, we have to understand economics and we have to understand, but like with printing of money and I like, I do see a world where, yeah, the stock market may continue to go up, but like, that doesn't necessarily mean that their theory is right. That's the whole point that I'm trying to make is like, why do we, like, I loved what you said about solving someone else's problem. Like that's, that's so, that's so key. It's like, if we focus on number one, like how, how, like money cash flow create is, comes from value. Value comes from serving, serving somebody. That's why I'm a huge fan of capitalism. That's because at the end of the day, when money is flowing, that means there's an exchange where a party is like, yes, I, I received more uh, value and that's why I'm giving, that's why it's a deal. If it wasn't a deal, I wouldn't be paying you right now for, for the exchange. And so I just like, I want us to, just take that concept and bring it to every part of our life. Cause what I find is in some areas we get it, you know, we, we make money, but then we turn off our brain into like what we should do with that tool. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you, but even if someone was like the market's going to average, it's like, okay, what's the point? What value exchange is that happening? Even if the market was continuing to grow, like, why is that? Is that, is that just because of money laundering that the, that the government's doing by printing more <laughs> money? It's like, it's like what, and, and then, and then on the back end of it, it's like, okay, let's assume that it continues to grow. Like what's the end result 30 years from now? Are you even happy that you're locking up your money for the next 20, 30 years? Like that, those are the kind of things that I like, I'm like agreeing with you and I'm even coming in a different direction. Cause I'm like, even if you were wrong, and even if the market like didn't crash, is it still an area that we want to lock up our money in? That's that's the question I have. And then it's like, if you understand that, 
that the fact that the, the next 30 years aren't going to look like the last 30 years is a whole nother reason to why you might want to pump the brakes and do something different. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, Pete, the folks listening to this episode, some people think everything's going to be okay. Some people think, you know, the, the next Great Depression is going to come. So we got two extremes on both sides. Yeah. But what you're saying is it doesn't matter which extreme happens, your your tune, your story stays the same. And I love that. So let's dive down that. And, and really, folks, what we're talking about here is nothing new. This has been around for hundreds of years. I mean, you could trace it back. I did a a video talking about the origins of what we're going to talk about commonly heard of is privatized banking you know back in the day or the infinite banking concept pioneered by the late r nelson nash who literally pa paved the way for everything that both of us do here but really it comes down to let's just assume the markets are going to continue to just go gangbusters because the fed's going to keep printing trillions of dollars and keep the market artificially inflated but we won't even go there let's just assume the markets are going to go good a lot of people would say you know when they hear you know either of us talk and i love your section in your book about this people are always like well why would i put money into this privatized banking this specially designed and engineered whole life when i can put money in the s p 500 and make 12 percent okay so that's that's a relevant question, right? Most of you listening would say, yeah, why would I put money in a specially designed whole life that might pay me between two and 5% versus putting money in a S&P 500 ETF that pays me 12%. And, and just for the record, folks, S&P 500 is not at 12% and doesn't average 12%. We're just hypothetically using a number just so you, you have a high number to look at, right? So some people would say, yeah, I'd take money from my bank account and I would put money into the S&P 500. That seems like the better choice. If I knew it was going to do 12, that would be the better choice than putting it into the whole life, paying me two to five. Okay. Hold on a second. What if instead of doing the S&P 500, you took the money and you put it into the whole life first. And then once the whole life was funded, you then took money from the whole life and you put it in the S&P 500. Is there anything different? I mean, uh, you know, we'll leave this to the audience. You know, is there anything different about that? You just changed where the money went first and then you took the money from the specially designed whole life. You know, we'll just call that your privatized banking system. And then you put the money into the S&P 500. You took a loan from your policy and put it into the S&P 500. Are you indeed still making 12% in the S&P? Yeah, if the S&P made that. And then are you still indeed making the 2 to 5% in the whole life, depending on what year you're in? Yeah, you effectively are. What's the differential in the middle? What the insurance company charges you to borrow your money. So yep. when you when you pencil it and you run the mathematics, and this is something I've gone deep into, Caleb, I don't know if you've seen it, but I have literally gone to great lengths to mathematically prove all the concepts we talk about day in and day out, mathematically prove it so that there's no more. Well, I don't know if that happens There's no more you know, people saying, well, that whole life would never do that. I just mathematically yep. solve for that. But in your book, you said, you know, your book is called The And Asset. You talk about exactly that. This isn't, you know, a this or that asset. This is a this and, and that. Do you want to yep. elaborate on that? Yeah, and I and I actually want to I, I will want to talk about something that I think will be a really, really good discussion for us to talk about and maybe even disagree on. And I think there's benefits of saying, hey, we as friends and pr like people in the space, like we can have conversations that are nuanced. And here's what I'll say is you're 100 percent right. Anytime someone says I can make a greater rate of return, it, it's like they they must they're comparing life insurance to an investment and life yeah. insurance is not an investment so that that just tells me like oh all they care about is the rate of return so then we we talk about like you could fund a life insurance policy and then take a, a loan against that life insurance policy put that money in the, and the, really there's only two big differences to to that is is the cost that the insurance companies 
charging you to borrow. And then usually in the first year or two, you don't have all the money that you put in versus like if your money was in a savings account, you would have more quote unquote liquidity. And so then the question goes, this is a common question I'm sure you and I both get, Caleb, if I'm only going to earn, let's say three, four, maybe 5% internal rate of return, like actual rate of return in my policy, why would I, why would I take a five, 6% loan somewhere else? So it's in other words, do we arbitrage using infinite banking? And I actually don't like if it's just the cash on cash, you don't arbitrage. Let's just let's just hypothetically say you only make 3% in your policy and you're charged 5%. You're not arbitraging. And then people are saying, well, Caleb, why then do you recommend this? You would actually be better mathematically putting your money in a savings account. And this is what it, this is what it tells me. They have zero value of the benefits that life insurance gives you to your financial life. They don't under, like there's zero value in the death benefit. There's zero value in the chronic benefit riders. There's zero value in the fact that it's when set up and used properly, there's tax benefits that allow our money to grow tax deferred, can be used tax-free, gets passed on income tax-free. There's zero benefits that come from like, oh, having life insurance in a future portfolio is like bonds on steroids. And there may be benefits that unlock other things. And so what I like to just tell people is if you all you care about is arbitrage, infinite banking is probably not like, and this is where we can disagree, but I don't, when I look at the math, whole life insurance, which you and I are both a fan of, because we are not able to manipulate the numbers like some other insurances out there. It's like, no, you're, you really over the next 30 years may or may not be able to arbitrage. But if all you care is arbitraging your cash, don't do the strategy. But if you understand life insurance as like a actual amazing asset that literally makes 10, 15, 20%, like not 20%, like 20 benefits better. If you understand that, You'd want to put as much money as you possibly could into life insurance and use it as an and, not because of the quote unquote arbitrage, because of all the other benefits. And when you include all the other benefits, it's like crazy arbitrage because you're getting that. I I want you to ask questions. I want us to have a discussion on this because I, when we talk about arbitrage, like I do believe there's arbitrage. I just believe there's arbitrage when you add in all the other benefits. But if you only care about one number, it's the same people that say life insurance is a bad investment. I'll I'll give it to them. It's like if all we care about is that buy term and invest a difference. If that's what you want to do, great. But like who's going to have a better result over the next 30 years? Me, because I understand that there's more than just rate of return. Rate of return is one benefit. It's important. We got to look at all kinds of other things because you can't spend a rate of return. And that's you you can't cash flow is not necessarily created based off a rate of return. There's Value is not just necessarily created. The rate of return is one element that matters, but a lot of times we put it on a pedestal and forget all the other things in our life. And the last thing I'll say, because you got me on a tangent here, is like a cell phone. This is the example that I use. We all have smartphones. I would I would bet you majority of people watching this video has a smartphone. Does anyone say to you, oh, well, smartphone's a bad investment because I don't know the rate of return that my smartphone gives me? No, I've never heard that. And yet, I will spend, like, I don't care how much money I have to spend per month. Like the smartphone allows me to do business. It's my alarm clock. It's my white noise machine. It's my maps. It's my timer. I get to call. I get to text. We get to do massive business opportunities on a smartphone. I don't look at it as an investment. I just look at it as an essential thing for my business. 
that's the kind of how I look at life insurance. I don't look at it as like a invest. I just look at it as an essential part of building my wealth. And it's like, because it's hard to put a value on my smartphone because it does so many things. The same thing, I, I think, think of the same thing as life insurance. It's like, don't even try to put it in the same investment category. It does so much. That's why it's a foundational asset for me. And then we could talk about what we should do with it afterwards. So that's kind of my tangent on arbitrage, infinite banking and all of that. And that's where I'm excited as, as people get it and mature more, they care less about the, the, the illustration and more about the whole concept. I agree. And, and you know, I'm probably one of the, the ones and I probably get a lot of haters inside the industry because I do talk a lot about the product and the illustrations because I know that the reason I do is not because that's what I want people to know, but I know that people can't grasp a concept. They need yep. a product because we have been conditioned and trained and taught to buy products to solve our problems, not learn concepts. So yep. when I first started in this line, all I did is talk about the process, the infinite banking concept, which is the process of taking back the banking functions in your life. We'll cover that in a second. But in doing that, I also realized it's very difficult to take somebody from zero to a hundred talking solely about a concept when they're all they want to know about is let me yep. see the illustration, I let agree. me see the numbers. So that's why I've spent so much time and energy. And also just so everybody watching, this is our shop cat. His name is Lazy Cash. He never misses a podcast. But you know, so when when we're thinking about that aspect, that's why I've gone that route. But now let's let's just kind of go into some of the things as to why maybe we differ on some of these different things, which is perfectly fine. I think that's actually yep. the most productive thing that can happen. If we just both agreed on everything, like, listen, we can't learn anything from each other. I always right. study the wealthy. Okay, what I've done ever since you know I, I got out of the Wall Street world is I've looked at why the wealthy do things differently. And I never believed this as an advisor just because I was pretty much brainwashed to put the rosy colored glasses on. But when I got out, I started looking at all the wealthiest families. Now you can start in your own town or you can then start evolving and start really just looking at the most wealthy families out there, period. The Buffets and you know, you can go back in the families. I, I, I'm a nerd about the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds for good, bad or indifferent. But I study yep. them and it, it, it cannot be denied the, the fact that they used whole life insurance for large portions, especially the Rockefellers, they literally yeah. created their own family banking system. But when you study that, you know, some people would say, oh, why did they do that? And then we could go down the arbitrage thing. We could go down this, but really comes down to one fundamental, one fundamental principle. They understood that family mattered and future generations of family matter even more. So in giving that their money, all of us, all of us are going to make money through our lives. We're going to trade hours for dollars. We're going to make money. We're going to sell things. We're going to make more money. And that money yeah. all has to go somewhere, right? So where have we been taught to put that money? Let's just keep it simple. Banks. We put money in a bank, but then when you look at what a bank does, a bank takes our money and immediately lends that money back out on houses, cars, remodels, debt consolidation loans, you name it, the bank lends. And on all those loans, they're using our money, they're collateralizing yeah. it, and they're making a spread on all that money. So all you need to think about is we're not changing the dynamic of what we do every single day. The infinite banking concept is identical to what you do day in and day out with one change. And that is where the money goes first. Instead of putting it in their bank where they get to use it, where they get to make money on it, we're putting it in our yeah. bank, which is when I say our bank, it's a specially designed whole life. Why do we use a specially designed whole life? Well, 
back to the wealthy. Why did the Rockefellers use whole life? Why didn't they use universal life or IULs? Yes, they weren't around then, but they're around today, but they still don't use them. Why do banks, traditional banks, not use IULs? Why did they use only whole life in the terms of bully? I don't know. Start asking those questions. You start seeing the path. So money has to go somewhere. By putting it in an insurance company, I can promise you it's safer than being in a bank. Right now, we've we've lost five banks this year, and there are 168 by a study that was just done that are on the verge of collapsing. 168 more than all the banks that collapsed in 2000 or in the Great Recession for the, the following couple of years. More right now on the verge of collapse. How many mutually owned insurance companies are on the verge of collapsing? Zero. Matter of fact, mutually owned insurance companies and whole life products right now, almost all the carriers we work with are raising their dividends. That's a, yeah. that's weird. Banks are failing and insurance companies are paying more in dividends. That's odd. No, it's not odd at all. You just need to understand why insurance companies do things and why banks do things. They're two different animals. So we got to put our money somewhere. Okay. So I choose and you choose and our clients choose to put their money in a specially designed whole life. Now, is that to make an arbitrage? Maybe for some, maybe not for others, but let's not forget about the way we use money every day. We're always going to need cars. We're probably going to buy houses or our kids are going to buy houses. We got to fund college for, for that. We're going to buy things that are going to require money, right? Where's that money going to come from? Your bank account, or you don't have enough in your bank. So you're going to then borrow money from the bank. You gave up control of your money, and then you're going to borrow your money back at a higher rate of return than what you're making. That, to me, just logically makes no sense. Maybe I'm just too far down the rabbit hole. But over yeah. here on the whole life side, I can do the exact same things. I can take money from my specially designed whole life. I take the loan. I buy a car. I just bought a car, okay? The, the, I went to the bank, and I asked them what the rate was. 7.8% interest they were going to charge for a used car loan. I can borrow from the insurance company at 5 so when we talk arbitrage, if the bank's going to charge me 7.8 and my insurance company that I, my policies are with are going to charge me five, what's the difference in the middle? Call it an arbitrage, right? I'd prefer yep. to not pay their bank 7.8 and, and only pay like the insurance company five. But you see, here's what I do. I don't ignore the fact that the bank was going to charge me 7.8. I would have paid that to Cornerstone Community Federal Credit Union. No ifs, ands, or buts. And most people would. You need a car, you go to the bank, you borrow money, you pay them a monthly payment. So all I did is I, I ran a calculation for five years. What would be my monthly payment for that loan at 7.8%? It was like 1,458 bucks. So what I did is I went into my bank and I created a bill pay for $1,478 a month. And when did I end it? Five years from now. $1,478 comes every single month with a check. I get a bill pay check every month. And guess whose name's on it? Chris Noggle. Why? Why wouldn't it be Cornerstone Federal Credit Union? Because I took back the banking function. You see, I didn't rob myself and pay just 5%, which some could, doesn't matter. I paid 7.8 because I would have given the bank 7.8. And because I know I'm making a spread or an arbitrage in between there, five minus 7.8 is what I'm effectively making. It's actually more because I'm paying the loan down, but we won't get into that. And then I put the money back into my policy, which every $1,478 payment I put back into the policy as a loan repayment is $1,478. $78 I have tomorrow. Very different from a bank model too, because if I give Cornerstone $1,478 in a car payment, can I go to Cornerstone and say, hey, I need that $1,478 back uh, next week? No. Absolutely not. But in my banking system, I certainly can't. That money's there and available and can be used anytime I need it for an emergency, for another opportunity, for kitty food, whatever I need. So for me, those are the simple fundamentals of the money side of it. But let me hit the most yep. important thing. And I alluded to this earlier. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but this is so no, no. And good. I have a I have a counter for you, so this will be a good conversation. But I want to hear the end. 
Yeah. Remember the Rockefellers, you know, in the Rockefeller family bank, one of the most important things about their banking system was not the current generation. It was the future generations. So that yeah. means when one gen, one, one of the Rockefellers dies, a death benefit from the policy, their banking system yep. pays back to the trust. And then that funds the future generations so that they can buy more, do more, build more, just create more. Creation is the ultimate. So with me, the one thing I have, I've been doing this well over 20 years now, I have delivered more death benefits than I can count. So we awesome. talk about all the fun stuff with cash value, but I'll tell you the number one thing that I understand that is hard for me to articulate. I understand what it's like when some one of my clients passes away and I get a check from the insurance company that I hand deliver or I mail to my client. And then they call me back and they say how that check save their family, how that check changed their family's life forever. You want to talk about arbitrages and rate of return and cash on cash return. None of that matters. The only yeah. thing that matters is when I deliver that check, I see how that family is saved and how that future generation kids that that person that died will never know how their life will be changed by one thing called a whole life insurance policy. So once you take it to that level, that's why we do what we do. The rest is just fluff. The rest is just like icing on the top or the whipped cream on top or the cherry on top, whatever you want to call it. So yep. over to you. Yeah. So I love, I love like it's a, a podcast, but it's just that I'm talking, you're talking, we're going on these beautiful <laughs> rants. I, I love it, dude. I, I think we should do, I think we should do like a quarterly uh, session and just record our conversations. Um, the, the thing I, I agree with what you're saying. I think I, the, the only thing that I just, would push back on is I don't look at, I'm not obsessed with the banking function and here, and I'll explain why I'm more obsessed about efficiency. And my definition of efficiency is removing any friction to get to your desired result. So all I, I don't care about, um, you know, who makes money. Like, I just want the most efficient thing for my personal family and our generations. So it's like, if, if scenario a was the bank made money, but Caleb was Caleb and his family are better off versus scenario B, the bank made no money and Caleb and his family were a little less better off. I would choose a, cause I just like, at the end of the day, I, I care about, you know, our family and what's the most efficient for us. So when it comes to like infinite banking, this is where, this is where we, we can have a discussion is I, in that scenario, I would actually take the bank loan at seven or 8%. And here's why. I actually am. I actually will be paying more than I would have been paying myself if I took a policy loan for myself. Like I, I acknowledge that. Even like I 100% acknowledge that. But I value control and liquidity of my money, and I know that like I have opportunities in business that are far greater than seven eight percent. So I look at anything from debt and opportunities in the same bucket. Cause for, for me, everything comes off of opportunity cost. So a, an 8% loan is like an 8% investment. And so for me, I don't have unlimited cash, neither do you, neither does anyone else. So I'm always looking at a couple things. What's going to help me, my future cash flow, legacy, net worth, and risk. And for me, I'll work with, and I know you will as well, cause you have real estate and stuff. I'll work with banks all day long. I just want to make sure that like we are most efficient. And so the thing that I try to get focused on is what is the goal? What is helping people? If we can save more money into whole life insurance, that's the key. So whether that's you putting money into whole life insurance, buying cars, going on vacations, and then then 
you know, paying your loan back. And that's like your way of saying like, hey, I'm going to save more. And at the end, 20, 30 years from now, I was able to save 25% of my income versus 10%. Great. I'm like, go for it. Versus what if I'm saving 30% over here? And instead of taking money from, you know, against my policy, I'm, I'm looking at other opportunities. And so for me, it's like, I'm, I think we need to look at how much money we can save long-term for compounding what is the cash flow that's created and what's the end legacy? We're both saying the same things. For me, I look at the lens of, I want to be most efficient. I want to factor in risk. I want to factor in those other things. And I and I care less about the banking function because I think we're saying the same thing. I mm-hmm. just use the word efficiency and you use the word banking function. And I think this is good because in our videos, like this is good for us to talk about this because you know people might get confused and we're on the same team. Like we're talking about the same thing. It's just um, for me, I'm like some people in the IBC community, I would love to ask you this. It's like they're paying off their home early with their policy. I, don't I do can't that. I can't even comprehend like what like <clears throat> I would go as far as to say that could potentially be malpractice if you're like educating people or like encouraging them to pay off a 30 year debt with a, you know, but again, like even if mathematically it was possible, it's like I would rather be sitting on capital that I control versus putting it all into it. And at like, so those are the kind of things that we could go all over and there's different philosophies, but that's kind of where I, that's when I went down the infinite banking rabbit hole. I got frustrated because I am a math nerd and I was like, okay, you're saying this, but I want to understand the math. And that's why I appreciate people like you that are like, let's look at the math. Um, and, and so I'll, I'll let you share your thoughts, but like that, that's the discussion that I probably have the biggest hang up. Um, and don't be confused. Like I'm, we save a ton of money into whole life insurance and our clients do the same. Um, we just maybe have different language, but I think at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to accomplish the same thing. Yeah, I agree. And, and we are saying the exact same thing. So folks, when you're listening to the two of us go back and forth, we're literally saying the same thing. I know you you all think like he's got one way and I got another. We're literally doing the exact same things just in a different way. Now, yep. you know, I'm 46, so I'm a little older. And, and because I come from Wall Street, I, I've been around a lot of risk and I've lost a lot of money yep. because of taking excessive risk. And, and literally, I, I call it greed now, you know, and and yep. where I'm at now in my life is the path of least risk. Risk Correct. mitigation is one of the most high level in things simplicity. There's a in, form in, of in simplicity. simplicity. Yes. Yep. So so when I talk about all the stuff I do with my policies, which is very much different than way the way you do it, you know, you're you're keeping liquidity and then you're taking opportunities. Now, business opportunities that you control in your own business, let's leave them off the table for now because there's no one yep. better to invest in than yourself. I think everybody can yep. agree. And if you if you don't agree with that, folks, you need to really look in the mirror and chant some things to yourself. Yep. I am, I am, I am, because you are always your best investment. But let's just say there's other opportunities out there like uh, you can invest in businesses, you can invest in stocks, you can invest in real estate, all these opportunities which can pay you big returns. For me, at this stage in my life, I am very I have a very light appetite would be a word for risk assets. Um, I've sold almost all my real estate. I had 91 units. We flipped 274 wow. houses to date. So I've been in the risk side. I've invested in the riskiest stocks, the riskiest private REITs. And you know what? as a whole, it all worked out, but I didn't like the risk because it keeps you up at night. It makes you wonder whether or not it's all going to be there the next day. And and all for what? All for chasing a fictitious return. So now what I do is now the things that my family enjoys in our lives, like 
like I'm a car guy. I collect Porsches. So I love Porsches. Now, now you can dislike me or like me for that. It doesn't make a difference. Okay. But what I choose to do is I know just like investing in yourself, I know I'm my lowest risk. So if I buy a car, instead of financing it through the bank, I'll finance it through my private banking and I'll pay myself back. Why? Because there's zero risk there. I'm never going to, I'm never not going to pay my, my loan back to myself. And I do that for a lot of things, copy machines in the office, the building that we're buying right now. Okay. All these different things, which yes, I could go get a bank loan for all of them. I'm very bankable, very bankable. You, well, you, some banks would maybe say no, because banks just don't want to lend right now. But <laughs> yeah. so I'm always going for the least risk in the most simplicity, like you said, which is why I talk so much about cars and you know i many many years ago i paid off all my debt and today still i remain debt free outside of my mortgage but i am paying my mortgage off but i love that you mentioned mortgages this might come as a surprise to a lot of people watching this i am not paying my mortgage off using my policies not one red cent from my policies will ever be used to pay my house off not at all matter of fact the, the money in my policies maybe will be used to add on to my house but they will never pay my house off. I'll use velocity banking for that, a HELOC and, and that. I'm not going to get into it, but that's how I'm doing that because of exactly the same reason. Like I don't want to tie assets up for 30 years or 25 years or however long. I need those assets liquid because you know what? You and I will agree on this. The biggest opportunity of our lives is coming in maybe next year, a year after. And yeah. when that opportunity comes, we will need to have liquidity if we're going to seize that opportunity. Otherwise, it'll be just another thing where, oh, I should have, I could have, I would have. So I refuse yep. to tie and, money and again, up long-term. Majority of people are tied up in 401ks, yep. the market. Like majority of people aren't even doing anything near what we're doing. They're they have their money tied up in assets they don't have access to. Then then they're forced to take a loan, regardless if they want to or not. And and then an opportunity of a lifetime comes. And opportunity of a lifetime literally could be. It doesn't need to be Bitcoin or anything. It could literally just be like an opportunity for you to 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 do something else, invest in yourself. And you're unable to say yes ethically because you don't have control and liquidity of, and you might have hundreds of thousands of dollars in assets that you can't have access to. And so, yeah, I, I, I 100% like that's how I, I'm very optimistic in how I view the world. And, um, for, you know, for me, I'm just trying to save as much money as, as possible. And my whole goal is the, the, the scenario that allows me to save the most is there is the route that I'm going to take. And I think, you know, we could talk all day long about techniques, but the reality is majority of people are consumer consumerism are up to their eyeballs. And they're just, it's a heart reason of why they're not able to be wealthy. It's not a, it's not because of whole life or IUL or a Roth IRA. It's literally because uh, like you're consuming more than you're creating value. And if there's one thing I, I love about Jeff Bezos, he's like, create more than you consume. I think if we all just take that advice, create more than you consume, like you will be fine. Like you will be fine if you can just create more in life than you consume. Like that's a great um, framework to think about your wealth is like, how can I create more in every year with my money and my time than I consume? You'll be in a good place. I'm going to go two places with this. Earl Nightingale in his famous, The Strangest Secret in the World, talks about the difference between success and failure. Not going to go into the whole story, but the, the difference between why this study of 125-year-olds and why only five of them were successful, 95 were unsuccessful, comes down to what you just said, creation. It is the most powerful thing on earth. Think about it. God created us in yep. his image. God created everything yep. we know. Like Not getting in, you know biblical or, or religious here, but like think of it. Creation is the ultimate. What is yep. the what is the reason for failure? Conformity. 
conform to somebody's failed ideas, conform to somebody's failed plan. Like that's how you fail. Listening to other people who have never done or lived the life you want. That's a pure path to failure. But let me go one step further. Here's here's something that drives me nuts. And I, I think we'll agree on this. You see this as much as I do. We talk to thousands of people and I see this every day. I see people and then in the stats don't lie that over just crossed a trillion dollars in credit card debt. I see people every day in consumerism racking up yep. credit cards. And, and then I see those same people putting money into the 401k and risky assets, buying Bitcoin and Ethereum or, or, or all those crap coins or, or taking, you know, their, their little money they have outside of all the debt that they piled up and trying to invest it to try to get ahead. Oh, um, you know, or betting or gambling or going to the casino and hoping that it's going to hit black instead of red. Like whatever way you want, like, listen, like the fastest way to create wealth is through your own debts and expenses. This, this is, this is the simplest thing you all should know before you ever invest a dollar, go to the other side of your budget or your balance sheet and look at your liabilities, credit cards. Most credit cards right now are 20 to 29%. They keep going up 29%. What would it take, Caleb, to make 29% consistently every single year in your 401k? Uh, it, yeah, impossible. It can't happen. It, you would it be can't out happen. of your mind to, to plan on that over a long period of time. It cannot happen. Even period. Dave Ramsey will agree with us on that. Yeah, can't. Even <laughs> Dave Ramsey would agree with us on that one. Even Kramer would agree. You can't get 29%. But you know what? Yeah. What if you took the money that you would have given to Kramer or some other guru out there, yeah. okay, and you just paid off a credit card? And then you took yep. the exact amount we're, you were paying the credit card and you just put that back in your bank account. What was your return? Yep. yep. 20 or 29%. Yep. Better than you could ever get in any investment yep. over a long period of time. And you know what? You're going to get that return no matter what, as long as you keep being an honest banker. Yep. And notice how I didn't say put it back in your policy. I said a bank account. Take yeah. the policy out. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. It's the same freaking yep. thing. So when I see people taking risk and in investing money anywhere, Oh, I'm putting money in my 401k. I get a match. Who cares? Your match is what? 3%. You're giving away 29 to make three and then whatever return you make or lose. Like, like, yeah. That. And even the match is a little deceiving because it's like, totally when does it translate in the, some, in someday in the future? And it's like, how does that actually going to translate? It's not like people say it's like doubling your money, but it's like, okay, over the next 30 years, what's the actual result of that going to be to your cash flow? Whereas paying off a 30% credit card creates massive cash flow momentum. I, I actually had a conversation the other day with a friend. They were talking about like, you know how like people who want the pr- people that watch this or listen to this, like they want to do the right thing. And they usually are like a little too active. Like they're always looking for opportunities. And I literally looked at this person's financial situation. I'm like, dude, you got, you got $30,000 of credit card debt. You're paying 27% and you just freaking are starting a Roth IRA? Like, are you out of your freaking mind? And like for him, he did not connect it. And this is not a diss to, this is like, there's so many people that can benefit to what I'm about to say right now. It's like for him, he's like, well, Caleb, like they're two separate things. Like this, you know, I want to invest in my future and all that stuff. I'm like, the best way to invest in your future is to get a guaranteed, yes, I said guaranteed, guaranteed 27% on your money, pay off those credit cards, then take that cash flow. And I said the same exact thing, put it in a freaking savings account. I don't care, right? Like we're not here to talk about life insurance. Like, like, but it's just like, I love what you said about that. And I 100% agree that there's like, we got to own that. But then at the end of the day, we got to understand the heart of usually it's not a math problem. It's usually a heart problem of why we're in this situation to begin with. 
And that's really the, the conversation. And that's where the becoming your own banker concept is so powerful. And the thinking through the lens of efficiency is so powerful because to be efficient, you need to know where you want to go and you need to be self-aware to see any friction to remove that is to get clear of like what you truly want. And a lot of times we get in this situation because of a lack of clarity and a lack of conviction. And a lot of times, like we're living a world where they're not trying to help us be more clear there. We don't have conviction of why we're doing what we're doing. And that's why we, we were in the financial situations that we're on. If we had a freaking mission, we'd be doing things differently with our money. We would be, we would think twice about investing in other people's businesses that go against our values. Like if you're a believer, if you are a Christian, which you and I are, and you're investing in companies that are funding things that go against what we believe. Like, just think about that for a second. Like you could make the argument that you should just put your money in bonds. Um, you know, I'm not saying that you should do that, but like, there's, there's certain things that if we actually dug deep, we would start questioning, not even based on what we're talking about, just like based on like the ethics of what we're doing with our money. And that's where I just believe like the number one investment you can make is in yourself. And there's so many people that are devaluing themselves and the system is meant to devalue yourself. The system is meant to limit your clarity and conviction that you have in your life. And that is why we're fired up to get this message out because in do in helping clients, we're literally empowering them to say yes to the things that not only create more value and that they're passionate about, but literally will allow them to give to more people. And I love the, again, your definition of like, you know, start thinking about others and you'll never have enough because there's always more to to serve and give. But if you can think about that framework as it relates to your money, I'm telling you, it's going to be a game changer for your wealth. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.